the moon is the podcast dream. Ugh. I mean, sorry. Yeah, that the was moon good. is that was good. The sun's podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, David. Today we're talking about two films, neither of which have a single quote on the RDB page. Uh, no. No, they do not. Nor a single tagline to work off of. They don't have taglines. I don't think they really have posters. Uh, there's like there's like clip art. There's like MS Paint style. I, I don't, Trio yeah. is more of a poster. Yeah, yeah, it has a poster. You're right. Um, but but, but must, this must me be a tagline here. Nothing. It's uh, yeah, okay. Right. There's a, there's a tagline written. Both of them have taglines written in Korean that are not translated for me in IMDb. Okay, well, you know what? I started the podcast perfectly. Uh, you started it so well, but here, here, uh, the moon is the sun's dream. Tagline? Uh, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna load the movie. Oh, you're just it's gonna just, load it? It's just on YouTube. Load it up. Yeah. FYI for our listeners, by the way, uh, there's a fully subtitled version of the movie on YouTube in relatively good quality. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what a piece of dialogue is. Let's see. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. you're just gonna pick a line. I mean, it's available to me. Sure. So here, here, what's some, what's some great. Uh, Dialogue I'm gonna do this. the same thing with Trio. This is you can tell already. Sometimes you know right off the bat you got a corker of an episode. Yeah, you're plugged into something. Uh, sure. So this, the guy saying, blood. "I'll engrave 4:11 p.m. Always think of me around this time." So you could say, "I'll engrave 4:11 p.m. Always podcast around this time." Uh, I was. So that'd be good. Yeah, I I pulled up Trio and I was like, let me just like pick a random moment and I'll just take whatever the line is on screen at this moment. It was a line that included. The R word. Uh, so that was a failed attempt. Here's one. How can you trust anyone that sits down to podcast? Great. So there's a lot of options. Piss. I'm replacing and that's the word piss. Yes. Um, and that's okay. And that's okay. And that's okay. David, what is it? Who are we? What are we doing here? Uh, wait, I'm introducing the show. No, I am. It's Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers. What? Are you doing a Lights, Camera, Jackson voice? Uh, no, not if I was doing a Lights, Camera, Jackson voice, it's a little more like this. You gotta get that back to your DVD box. All right, all right, all right. Go on. Uh, yeah, go on. Go on. Go it's a podcast about thing. filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear. And sometimes they bounce, baby. This is a mini series on the films of Park Chan Wook. And today we are talking about his first two films. The Moon is the Sun's Dream. Well, you didn't take a long enough beat there. The Moon is the Sun's Dream. Um, David, what's the name of this mini series? We don't know. We don't know. And here's the thing despite there's... there being two movies, there's not a lot for us to talk about. So we just decided let's save everything for the mic. So you have texted the great Marie Barty? I have, telling her to make a poll. Because we don't know the name of this miniseries. All right, drink some water. This is this thing that everyone loves that we do where we create on mic in episode narrative tension around a thing that will be completely resolved by the time you listen. She's posted the poll. Now here's... Here are the three options. At the time you're listening to this, you'll know which one it is, but this is like watching the succession election night episode. Uh yeah, um, in that it's not about something real. No, um, it's very fake. There are actually multiple options here for this miniseries we're doing. 
Sometimes we'll do a director where you can really very, it's a real struggle to fit Correct. the word podcast into any of their films. And sometimes there's one option that is so clearly head and shoulders above the others that it's settled. Or David and I each have our one pick and we fight for them. This time there are three options. We went, eh, no, they're all equally good. They're all pretty funny. Yeah. And so uh, we have posted Sympathy for Mr. Podcast. Funny. I'm a podcast, but that's okay. I I think funniest, but you're right that it's the, the least most known of the three. Niche film. Yeah. Or decision to podcast. Yeah, all good. I mean, look. Which is just kind of like pew. We're not reinventing the wheel. They're direct here. None of these really worked well to split up pod and cast into different words. I'm kind of proud of you for that. Normally, it can be sweaty at times. Huge. Dry. These are dry. I'm like a a fucking desert of miniseries nicknames. Who do you? Who do you? Oh, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Okay, okay. Are the votes swinging wild? Yeah. Wow. Is Mencken going to be president? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sympathy for Mr. Podcast jumped yeah. out to an early lead. Okay. Decision of Podcast has now come very close to it. Hmm. Those two are very, very evenly Reasons tied. I'm a podcast, but that's okay, is uh, living in the trash. Well, I'll say this. <laughs> I immediately regret saying throw this to a vote and running them over on Mike. I realized that one's my favorite. And now it's going to lose. <laughs> I'm a podcast, but that's okay. Yep. That will be the one I say I wish had been the title for 10 oh, episodes. God, so David, you love that bit. No, I don't David, like it at you all. Like it. You like it more every time we do it. Uh, of course, Pak Chan Wook won our March Madness tournament, the World Cup. Correct. He was a bit of a surprise winner. Yeah, we had an international tournament. Yes. Um, and uh, so every March, 32 directors battle it out. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, 32 candidates for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and Park Chan-wook, the South Korean director, was a fourth seed. Yeah. And I think I considered him a fairly strong middle seed. I did too. But I did not consider him one of the sort of five or six juggernauts on this list. Yes, I was pleasantly surprised. I think, you know, what's always the most fun is when uh, March... Madness reveals a passion for us that we maybe would not have anticipated. Know that he is a very uh, uh, loved filmmaker and had recently had a movie that was really great That's come true. out. There's that sort of like uh, he was fresh in people's minds. But I think especially after uh, Stanley Kubrick won the year before, part of us wondered like, will it just be one of the four guys in the bracket who have won Best Director? Will it be the four guys who are the biggest and the most well-known duking it out in the final four. And he was just kind of like a like a buzzsaw the entire time. Well, was he a buzzsaw? Was he a buzzsaw? Let's see. Let's uh, let's check in with the results because I don't remember them that well. I don't uh, either. Uh, Park Chan-wook, uh, his first matchup was against uh, Steve McQueen uh-huh. of Great Britain. And he beat him fairly handily. So <laughs> 68 to 32. Buzzsaw. Round two, mm-hmm. he goes up against Peter Jackson. Okay. And that was quite close, 54 to 46. But once again, Jackson's a guy I thought Obviously, was fucking Jackson suplex. was the top seed. Ah. Buzzsaw stopped for a moment. Uh, okay. Well, uh, in the third round, in the quarterfinals, uh-huh. he, he edged uh, Peter Weir Your by... Favorite. Yeah, my favorite, who uh-huh. we should be doing. No, I'm joking. I'm excited to do this. And we'll do Peter Weir sometime. Uh, beat him by, by like 200 votes. Uh, okay. Very, very close. Uh, less than less than 1%. Okay. 
Uh, and then in the semifinals, he beat Guillermo del Toro by also quite a close vote, mm. uh, by about 300 votes. Mm. <laughs> and then, yeah, he wasn't a buzzsaw at all. But you know of course, You're... in the final, he won by literally one vote. One vote. One vote. <laughs> okay. So uh, maybe against... do like the sound of a little ice pick. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Um, a nail file. He beat uh, Bong Joon Ho, the uh, Korean, his Korean compatriot. Yeah, by one vote. Yes, in a ridiculous final matchup that mm -hmm. saw a lot of fans in the Reddit saying, "If we can make them tie, they'll do both." Yeah. To which I reminded them, we have a tiebreaker. We do. In fact, this is one of his many titles. That's right. Oh, that's another thing to do in this episode. By the way, add it to the minutes. Visit the Ben nicknames. Okay. Great. Okay, we're just filling up anything we can use. <laughs> to be to clear, talk. guys, we're very excited to talk about this director. Love him. Generally, yes. Uh, and the movies he has coming up are yes. you all interest. Like literally, there is no filler. No, correct. Except from here right on here out. at the start, right. which are these two movies, which Parks Network himself has actively disowned. I wish people hadn't seen them. Right. He wishes they did not exist and were not accessible to anyone in any way. Yes. And they are barely accessible. Um. So that's, uh, that's here we are. I think what a what an exciting journey we have ahead of us. Did you know that Marie did a poll for who should sing the blank Chuck blank check World Cup theme song and hip hop Sims beat Pip the Chipmunk and Lin Manuel Miranda? That's actually incredibly rude. <laughs> <laughs> just just some brand new news. It's actually to me. incredibly rude. Um, uh, hip hop Sims, I believe, the only one of that three that isn't the main exist. artist on a Walt Disney Records release. <laughs> also, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. It does not perform. So. Last, last I checked, Andalasia track one, Disenchanted soundtrack, Pip the Chipmunk. Um. So yeah, that was our March Madness. Um, this is our March Madness winner. Uh huh. Um, and that's all very exciting. Yeah. And let me just check the poll again. Should I check the poll again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, we we've covered we've covered a, a menagerie of different types of uh, uh, first films. Looks like sympathy for Mr. Podcast is okay, going to take it. Well, I regret leaving it up to the people. <laughs> is that your least favorite of the three? It's not, but you know that thing where like uh, you need to do the mental exercise where you're like, I can't make a decision, and then you like run the simulation in your head of like, what would actually make me upset if it turned out this way, or if I didn't do this, or whatever it is. I didn't go through that mental exercise, and now I've grown really attached. I'm a podcast for that. So, okay, and it's fine. It's going to die. It's dead. It's dead, and also, again, like... I might put my thumb on the scale. I, you're, you'd have to put a big thumb on the scale. You'd if, have to put one of the thumbs from Spy Kids on the scale. What if I email Lynn and ask him to... to I don't think that would work. Endorse maybe him. Maybe. He's got a lot of Twitter followers. He's got a lot of followers. Because it's so far behind. It's going to yeah. need an insane bump. Yeah. You're going to need Elon to hack the poll. So you better start tweeting about whatever. Some dank memes for him. Yeah. You know, better start tweeting like I, when I, I don't even want to make jokes about Elon Musk, who's a bad person. That's an arc. I spend this episode trying to become the kind of account that Elon would like. <laughs> buy buy Twitter Blue. Yeah. You know, start tweeting about the Babylon Bee. I don't know. Yeah. What does he do all uh, day? Yeah, shit like that. I don't know. So we are talking Park Town work today uh, on a podcast that's almost certainly called Sympathy for Mr. Podcast. Yes, it is. Now, first order of business, I say as we've already maybe tackled five orders of business. David, Ben walks into the studio today. 
I don't want to make a point of it. You were five minutes early, but that made you the third one to arrive. Yeah, you guys were already here. Because I'm starting a new era. Yeah, you really are. I, look, I early Griff. I literally, literally support it. I would love that. That would early be great. Griff. I'm just saying early Griff, okay? Yep. Uh, they call me Call Triandler in the late 90s because I'm an early, early edition. edition. I'm sure. Okay. Ben walks in. He walks up to me. He goes, do you notice anything different going on with me? I go, uh, no. I mean, and he goes around this area and he gestures to his skull. Okay. Well, he's still, and he's been sort of voguing now. Yeah, he is, but he's, he's got a baseball hat You on. come in, you say, what's the goss? What's the goss? And Ben goes, I've had a really exciting life development, but I'm going to save it for the mic. Okay, what's your exciting life development? And I, I once I noticed, I said, Ben, I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to wait to ask all of them on mic. David? What? It's like an I spy. It's like a... <gasps> ben! <laughs> ben? Ben's got a little daddy earring. Ben He's got, got a little stud. Earpiece. That's little right. cool guy stud. That's right, listeners. I am officially entering my bad boy era 2.0. Okay, now can we unpack this? Please. Uh, how? Why? When? Uh, Saturday. Okay. Why? Claire's accessories? Yes. yes. I, I thankfully the they played the video yeah. for me ahead of time right. to just make me feel comfortable. Okay, Saturday. Saturday. Uh, it was called Studs. <laughs> St- wait, with a Z? No. Ah, just regular bad. S. Too bad. Yep. Like Studs Turkle? Yes. Yeah, yes, cool. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was me and mostly really cool Gen Z mm-hmm. women. Uh-huh. And folks, uh-huh. uh, so I really felt a little bit like I stuck out as a 37-year-old man. Now, sure. I must ask, yeah, it's okay. how, how premeditated was this? This was truly a bit. Uh-oh, we don't Ooh, have bits on this podcast. Yeah, Ooh, yeah at least of all for me. <laughs> Steve Harvey, yeah. Family Feud X. He just hit a big whammy band on this show. Yeah. Where I did the thing of like, I get my ear pierced, I don't care. I'll do it. And then... Wait, I'm sorry, who are you talking yeah. to? Yeah, also, do you say this like 15 minutes before you go and do it? Kind of, yeah. Okay, and no, who are you I, saying it to? Yourself? My friend May is in town and... Now, is this the person you went and got the steak with? It is indeed. Yes. Oh, I forget who we talked about. What episode we, we talked, talked about, about our episode. episode. It would have been last week. It was oh, it's the last cameraman week. Right. marriage right. episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. So she's in town. So she's been pushing you out of your comfort zone. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I guess you could say that. But yeah. there was a, a, a plan to get a piercing done. Okay. She Second was already holes. planning on that yeah. for herself. Yeah. And I said, okay. I'm going to go too and we get my ear pierced. Okay. There's nothing cooler than a 37 year old guy who gets his ears pierced for Honestly, the, first the main reason I've never considered it. I've yeah. just always thought, ah, well, I look, will look, you know, like I cry for help. Or yeah. Whatever. But also, right. David, you know, will yeah. it look pathetic? Yeah. yeah will yeah, it yeah. look sad? To I, be fair, I David, could be cool. What was you're, you're not 37 yet. I am 37. You're not 37. How, how dare he tell me my age? <laughs> I am 37. David, I just turned 37. You are not 37. I 100% am 37 years old. I have been 37 for a month now. We're usually a year apart, but my birthday hasn't happened yet. Oh, so we're in that gray zone. Yeah, see? Yep. So, so you could do it, David. You could do he's, it. Look, he set the pattern. Fuck. Clearly, I could always follow it. And I encourage Fuck. all older men out there in their late 30s. You never got your ear pierced? Now you're thinking, uh-oh, it's all over for me. No. 
No. It's not. <laughs> so you went, I'm sorry. So you, went you to, could be cool. So you went to studs. Studs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it what, fucking hurt. Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> they oh, they, they punched a hole in your body. Dude, it's, it's going it to hurt was, a little bit. It was nuts. They, they were used like, the gun or a needle? A needle. needle yeah, 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 yeah. Right. They don't, the gun is real mall territory. She was like, <gasps> breath in. And then take a deep breath. Ah, and it just went right Ooh. through my ear. Now you just have the one ear. I just have the one. Well, no, I have two ears. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've only <laughs> you pierced. have the one piercing. The one, one piercing. One your left ear. Correct. The the lobe, the bottom. I just have a little gold round stud. And yes. you're gonna keep it in there. I have to do it for four months. <laughs> like you're committed. Commit. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What if you wait a second? Actually, this is like. What if you didn't? What if you got your ear pierced and immediately was like. I don't want to do it. Yeah, uh-huh. I I don't want an earring. I this bail. is a bad idea. If you just left it alone, would it just kind of close up quickly? Like like is that what would happen? I have no idea. Huh. I would assume so. I mean, yeah. it would be funny to actually get your ear pierced and then have the crisis. You know what I mean? Rather than yeah. have the crisis on seeing the needle here, like right. afterwards. Like, no, I don't like it. I don't yeah. like that I hate a hole this. In I hate me. this. I hate the hole. <laughs> I'm anti hole. <laughs> have you thought already? Do you have to keep this? specific one in for the next four months or can you okay yes to to maintain yeah well to to maintain um the whole right not allow it to close up and make sure it's clean and but i'm saying you need to wait four months before you can really explore if the fertile bit territory of what else can you put in there right that's correct okay and i'm thinking next i'm gonna do a hoop sure a big ass hoop Maybe, maybe okay. a big ass hoop. Yeah. Maybe I'm a medium surprised you hoop. never did it before. Yeah, honestly, you have a lot of tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I always kind of wanted to do it, and I just was scared. And yeah. then I decided, you know what? At this point in my life, I am who I am. It's the only confounding part of this. In fact, is realizing, huh? He didn't have his ears pierced already. Yeah, that's the surprising part. Is yeah. I guess you know, I I not that I assumed or thought you had. But it would have made sense. For sure. I yeah. had tons of friends who had piercings. Uh, septum is maybe now, maybe now I'm a piercing guy. Maybe I'll get the septum done too. Just be a guy in his late 30s walking around. Look, the I nose mean, ring. People can do what they want. Yeah. But I don't think you should do that. Okay. Okay. Say we're talking about two <laughs> movies. And that are maybe we deep should just with. on the Twitter be very clear. Like our park series starts next week. Yeah. And this week is uh, technically attached to it, but you know, not really. Right. Oftentimes no, we, we'll we'll do, like, do a power cleanser on the, yeah. the man himself. Look, here's the, the we've covered some of these uh, like uh, you know, the loveless, praying with anger, I guess we combine with wide awake. You know, there are other like sort of they haven't quite figured out their thing yet movies that we've uh, talked about on this show. But I watched these two films, and I really was like, I have no idea what I'm going to say about these. You know, and it's not that they're necessarily worse than other movies we've covered on the podcast. No. But I think especially... I think they're pretty bad. I think they're not great. They're bad. I kind of like Trio, although I wouldn't say it's good. I found it entertaining. I did not. No. Bold stance? Yeah. From you? No. Not pulled for me. No joy in your life, David? No? You found no happiness from Trio? There are three no. of them. Oh, yeah. I Some couldn't... movies only give you one character. This one gives you three. <laughs> right, this film dares Right give at me the three center. Characters. No, it felt... Well, whatever. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But no, it, it held, held my attention for about 10, 15 minutes. And yeah. then I was like, 
immediately just like, nah, I'm losing track of why, you know, why I should be invested in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got vibes. It's Both got vibes. Both of them got vibes. Yes, that is true. Let's let's dig into the general uh, uh, park uh, sort of table setting context. Park Chenwook, mm-hmm. who uh, we are going to talk about, uh, but also our first Korean director mm-hmm. and first uh, discussion of Korean cinema on this podcast, right? Obviously, we covered Ang Lee, who is from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we covered um, uh, Hayao Miyazaki, you know, um, who's from Japan. and But like... You know, those are sort of, you know, Ang Lee ends up in Hollywood fairly quickly. Sure. Miyazaki is kind of an industry and a genre to himself in yes. a way. Like, you know, they're, they're not quite the same. Like, this is like a guy who is very much part of like a wave of Korean cinema, right? Yes. Like, you know, we're talking about when there's a lot of context around that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to hear a very abbreviated history? This is from our dossier. Yes. JJ did a very good job. He did. Of yes. knowing, condensing... that, knowing that the movies don't matter that much. Right. Right. You know, he did no, I'm saying of... specifically just sort of like very clean table setting for like understanding uh, the, the climate of Korean cinema that he enters into. Because you're dealing with a country that has less of a sense of its own cinematic identity for a long time than most. Um. So. Uh, Korean cinema. Mm-hmm. First film shown in Korea as early as 1903. First film produced in Korea, not made uh, until around 1919. Uh, Korea was occupied by Japan mm-hmm. uh, for much of the early 20th century. Uh, and so those movies were being made. I mean, obviously, this is also just the dawn of cinema in general. Right. Obviously. Um, but uh, so uh, those movies are being made like under um, Japanese rule. Japan, uh, yeah, basically from 1910 to like the end of the Second World War. And so uh, lots of heavy censorship in that early time. Uh, by the 30s, the Korean film industry was basically just a wartime propaganda machine uh, because uh, Japan is at war with China, uh, you know, much earlier than the World War, the World War II begins. Um, all that stuff. You know, this is all, that's all, that's all 20th century history, guys. Hey, this is not a history podcast, it's not. really. Um, but, you know, 1945. But if we were, maybe we'd go to the top of the charts. Yes. Uh, Post-World War II. Yeah, maybe we would. Right. Da- David and Griffin's history pod. Yeah. That, that'll be good. And the artwork is us looking like kind of shocked and stroking our chins. <laughs> you know how there's always those YouTube clips, you know, yeah. thumbnails are just kind of like, like, huh? <gasps> Battle of the Bulge? What? Like, killed how many people? Yeah. What? I know, think of it as wah face. <laughs> wah? What is it? Is it called soy facing or whatever? Or is that something That's else? called soy facing? I don't know. I can never remember what all these things mean. What? what? Um, Head tilts. So after World War II, Korea, you know, is then plunged into um, the Korean War mm-hmm. and things like that. And so like really, um, it's 1953. The Korean War ends. Country is partitioned or honestly divided. I don't know what language is actually preferred for all mm-hmm. that, but, you know, there's North Korea and South Korea. And that is when the cinematic golden age of Korean cinema, the first sort of golden age of Korean cinema begins in the late 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of melodramas, a lot of action films. I'm going to say now, I'm going to do my best, as is Griffin, mm-hmm. to pronounce these names as best we can, but obviously with the caveat that, like, I am not Korean, and I don't speak Korean, and so I'm going to be romanizing the names a little bit, like, probably just 
you know, yes. as a matter of just that's how I speak. I am also uh, not Korean. And on top of that, I don't speak uh, English well. I've been keeping You're track You're not great of, with the pronunciations anyway. I believe I've said piercing wrong five times in this episode. What, how did you say it? Piercing? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, I roll back are you a little baby? I don't know. I'm just, I don't say words right. Um, yes, you don't. And that's fine. Um, so Kang Dejin uh-huh. uh, for, uh, made a film called The Coachman. Okay. Uh, that's an early classic. I've actually seen that film. Um, it won... Uh, the it won a prize at the Berlin Film Festival. Like that was sort of an early breakthrough, you know, okay. internationally for the industry. Some other, you know, Lee, Lee Man He, Kim Ki Young, uh, who I think is a big influence on Park. Uh, you know, there, there's some of these early names. I have not seen much no. early uh, Korean uh, filmmaking, but I have seen Kim Ki Young's The Housemaid. Have you seen The Housemaid? I have version? not. Um, that I feel like is fairly well known. Mm-hmm. And it got somewhat revived. It's a huge influence on Park, but it's also a huge influence on Bong Joon-ho. And mm-hmm. it's an obvious influence on Parasite. And it's sort of this, like, classic Hitchcockian thriller of, like, uh, you know, uh, an upper-middle-class family uh, takes this new housemaiden, and she's this sort of femme fatale, and all yeah. kinds of drama ensues. It's been remade a couple times. Uh, Woman of Fire, he, he remade his own movie in the 70s. It's called Woman of Fire. We're going to talk okay. about that in a second. But uh, if people want to check that one out, I feel like that one is probably pretty available. It's probably on Criterion or something like that. That one has become quite celebrated and has been restored and all that. I, I do think it's interesting, though, that you're dealing with a country that hasn't had uh, the chance to really form its own cinematic identity until the 50s. So the 50s. And At which then, point there have been several different uh, generations, iterations of, of, of other cinema you could be watching in, in each country. And I, I, you know, uh, uh, Japanese cinema is largely being blocked out uh, because of the political history. But outside of that, this is a culture that's much more tied into uh, movies being uh, exported from other countries than yeah, their I mean, own. I don't know to what extent at this time, right, you could see foreign films and all that. The other thing yeah. that happens is in 1961, Korea is um, taken over by a military um, the military, uh, military government, mm-hmm. uh, and is under military, you know, dictatorship uh, into until 1972, and so that brings back like intense censorship. Yes, uh, most you know histories of South Korean cinema called the 70s, 60s, 70s, like very low point, uh, sort of late 60s, early 70s, and Park Chan Wook, who was born in 1963, says that like he grew up watching other countries' movies right. on TV or whatever. Like, you know, he, he was not steeped in Korean cinema as a no. young boy. He was in a classic, like, Hollywood stars. Uh, he, unsurprisingly, watched a lot of Hitchcock, which sounds like it was his mother's favorite. Uh, right. Well, he's... Look, look, it's going to come up on this show a lot. Uh-huh. Park Chan-wook really likes Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. That is going to be a big deal on this show Going forward, Big Al. It's his hugest influence. He is an intense scholar of mm-hmm. Hitchcock, and I know people who have interviewed him. And if you basically just say like Alfred Hitchcock to him, he will give you a two-hour answer. You know, before you can ask another question. Like he's very, very uh, steeped in Hitchcock. But okay, at the end of the dictatorship, uh, restoration of democracy in Korea, which happens over the seventies and eighties, um, mm-hmm. censorship laws start to start to relax. And um, um, more foreign films, I think, start to flood into the market. And uh, in fact, in, by the 90s, I think, like, Korean 
multiplexes or whatever, okay. cinemas themselves mm-hmm. are mostly dominated by foreign films, non-Korean films. Sure. And so there's a movie called Marriage Story, mm-hmm. not directed by Noah Baumbach. Noah Baumbach. Mm-hmm. Uh directed by um let me see this. Kim We Suk. I'm sorry. I definitely mispronounced that. Um, that is like a rom com. Just seems seems fun. Okay. Seems like a you know middle class couple. They get married, then they break up, then they get back together again. Don't know much else, but it was the biggest hit of the early '90s in Korea, mm-hmm. and that is credited for kind of rejuvenating the industry to some extent. Uh, companies like Samsung start to fund movies, mm-hmm. give movies bigger budgets. Right. That's the big thing is that the second they're sort of like homegrown hits, you have these major companies. Yeah, that the exist. Korean revival has happened. Like right. it's an industrial, you know, explosion is happening in the country. There's money. They see the future. They want a piece of it. Suddenly a bunch of money is flooded into the idea of a film industry. And like, I am not an expert on Korean culture in any way, but I do mm-hmm. feel like Korean culture is so massively important right now yes. in all of Asia. It's very important around the world. There's, you know, music, movies, like, you know, like it has become a country that has a gigantic sort of yes. like, you know, footprint uh-huh. everywhere cultural influence and this is probably all starting in the early 90s yes <sighs> God. Take, take a breath jeez it's a little just you know do my best all right no, okay it's shocking i have an earring now <laughs> take a breath <laughs> this is true if we're feeling on edge today it's because you guys have to understand our entire sense of the world we live in has altered so radically You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. My, my, my coworker Maya and I uh-huh. were talking about getting tattoos, which I talk about all the time. I'm always like, I want a tattoo. You have no tattoos. I don't have any. And, um, and she was like, David. And I was like, but I never know what I would get. You know, yeah. the old refrain. Right. And she's like, no, no, David. I don't have one either. We just have to go get any tattoo. You just have to go get something. This is the Ben approach. Ben's pointing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, like fucking put something on your ankle or your yeah. upper arm or whatever. Sure. The first tattoo I got, a skull. Well, I do like skulls. Can't go wrong. I mean, the problem is, what it, what do you have that you're never going to regret? Right? In my life? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you're saying, like, her, your, your friend Maya, her approach is, like, just get something. Yeah, she's like, you just gotta get something. For the sake of something, not put importance on it. Yeah, yeah. Because she's like, like, if you put importance on it, then you will probably think it's stupid later. Right, I was 15, I would have gotten a fucking full chest tattoo that says John Lasseter creates a comfortable workplace environment. <laughs> <laughs> like, anything I thought 
And you tried. I tried. Tattoo artists were like, you're too young for this, and your parents won't approve it. And honestly, I think it's a really weird thing to put on your body. Picture of him giving a thumbs up, holding the bottle style, like in case you get short-term memory loss. You can at least look in the mirror and be like, well, John Lasseter does create a comfortable work environment. Everyone feels totally normal on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Yeah. All right. So, okay. Park Chenwuk, born Mm -hmm. 63 in Seoul. Uh, sort of in a comfortable middle-class family. His dad was a university professor of architecture uh-huh. who specialized in color. Sure. Uh, Park thinks that uh, is very important to him. Like he says, you can see how color mm-hmm. matters in my movies. I think it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, his mom you taught... You think it's blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, you got it. Uh, mom taught political science and was a poet, a devoutly Catholic family. Park himself mm-hmm. and identifies as an atheist. But he was raised Catholic. Uh, and I would say you have that sense of sort of like judgment and sin mm-hmm. and like, you know, can we atonement? Yeah, yeah all that stuff. Yes. All that Catholic stuff. Mm-hmm. Redemption. Yeah. Uh, that's in there. His adolescence and his college years, he said, you know, you're living in a totalitarian nation, mm-hmm. an individual's life is intertwined with a sense of guilt that comes from violence and being unable to resist you know what's happening you know because uh, the dictatorship's in control um violence is, is pain and when people use violence they destroy themselves from the inside violence is a power that moves the world it's not desirable but it is important art and mass media they don't really cover violence not action movie pretend violence but violence itself so i wanted to show how violence makes people behave in a certain way how it hurts people mm-hmm. that's Park thinking about his sort of thematic obsessions. Sure. Um, but also he's growing up in this family with visual sensibilities. His dad's an architect. His brother apparently is a painter. Mm-hmm. He would go to art galleries of his dad all the time. He wanted to be a painter and then he very quickly realized I'm nowhere near as good as my brother. He had a comparison point right next to him. So what did he decide? He said, I'll be an art critic maybe. Mm. Can't do criticize. Yes. So... Movies also very important mm-hmm. in the household. They would watch movies together. They didn't really go see movies uh, in theaters, but there was also less of a culture of that it was what it was, was a, playing a on strict curfew. You TV. could barely go out at all. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they'd watch uh, lots of old French films, mm-hmm. classic Hollywood movies. Rebecca, North by Northwest. Yeah. Speaking of Hitchcock. But he said, like, because uh, uh, Japanese media was being blocked. He was totally closed off to Kurosawa and Ozu and all these filmmakers until he got older. And he's like, I do think that my life would have been very different if I had been exposed to those guys at an early age. Yeah, versus Versus being exposed to Hollywood. Right, this mishmash of... Robert Aldrich. Yes. The Towering Inferno, you know. Fucking Kiss Me Deadly, you know, yeah. uh, Longest Yard. He's a starts. lot of B-movies, a lot of noir films, really a lot of Golden Aldrich. Age Hollywood stuff. But then it, he had, uh, there's the t-shirt he credits as being the one who, he came into school and he was like, less of a movie fanatic kid and more of was sort of just like obsessed with stars. Okay. And was ranting to his teacher. This is it. This is I know. I'll get to it. I'm going okay, down. Well, then you, you know, know what? Yeah, you then you, you know jump what? ahead. I, I'm sorry. He's got a fucking earring. I don't even know. My bearings are all. <laughs> all right. Listen. Korean stud. You barely notice it at first, but it makes a big difference. Bad boy era 2.0. So he sees Woman of Fire, which uh-huh. is the remake of The Housemaid, also made by Kim Ki Young. Mm-hmm. Says that's a huge influence on him. Okay. Uh, that film, that film, Griffin, mm-hmm. features the film debut mm-hmm. of 
uh, Yoon Yoo Jung, the, the lady oh, who from, won uh, from uh, the Oscar from yes. Minari. Yeah. Um, just an interesting little factoid yes, for you yes, there. Yes. He says that movie kind of changed his life. Uh, he says the original housemaid uh, gives him shocks even when he sees it now. Mm -hmm. uh, he thinks that guy is sort of a huge whatever. I got to watch Rock of yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good shit. As you say, couldn't really see Japanese films. Mm -hmm. Maybe oh, if just you wanted to confirm, it is available on the Criterion channel. Okay. Go. Is it part of the uh, that Scorsese box? Is that what it is? Uh, one of the world cinema box? No, I think they just restored it. It's a fairly major work. Maybe yeah, I don't it, know. It just it just is looking like it's part of their regular collection. Okay, um, go on, David. As you said, he wants. Oh shit! To... No, he's right. Sorry, David. guys. Was guys. Right, guys. Okay. All right. I was right. All right. He's thinking of becoming an art critic. Mm -hmm. He's studying philosoph philosophy, philosophy. Yeah, so studying philosophy. Third time since at Sogang University in Seoul. Mm -hmm. Uh, wants to be an art critic. The art university had few classes on aesthetics. Okay. So instead, he starts hanging out with the cine club he founds, alternately referred to as the film gang. Mm -hmm. That's where he sees Vertigo, an Alfred Hitchcock film you might have heard of with a little guy called Jimmy Stewart. And he's seen that? He's seen it. He's That's the thing. He's not he reflected actually, in his work at all. No, no, no. And he saw this movie, and according to him... Uh, that was the one. That's the Thunderbolt movie that makes yeah. him want to be a filmmaker. Uh, have you seen Vertigo? Have I? Yes. Yeah, you seen that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, have you seen Vertigo, Ben? I've seen it and I've had it. <laughs> Me too. I hear you. Uh, he sees Vertigo and he says, whatever it takes, I have to be a film director after seeing Vertigo. The scene where the man is driving through the streets of San Francisco following the woman, it really felt like being sucked into a daydream. The moment where the woman is sitting in the museum and we notice the resemblance of how she tied her hair to the woman's in the portrait, that element of visual motif when you figure out the connection between irrelevant objects, you know, it blew his mind. By the way, you skipped over the thing I was going to say. Which is? When you said, wait, I'm getting to it. What? In middle school, he watches The Towering Inferno on oh, TV. Yeah, I skipped that. Well, I didn't know I it was, was about The Towering Inferno. And you said, I'm getting to it. I thought you were it. talking about a, a college professor. No. Oh, yeah, the teacher. And yeah. he goes to the teacher and he says, like, Towering Inferno. I, I saw this movie. It's so great. And she went, like, that's whatever, right? Right. I think right, the quote right. he says, she said was, uh, well, it's just another Hollywood movie, but there are a lot of directors in Europe with profound visions and individuality. And that was the moment I learned about people called directors. You know, it's actually an interesting question. That's what lots of European cinema. When do you learn about directors? You know, I'm seeing movies when I'm yes. a kid. Yes. Aladdin, for uh -huh. example. That guy, you know, he has a friend called the genie and Abu. We love it. We've seen it covered. But I'm not show. like walking out of there being like, you know, Musker and Clements really knocked out. Like when, when, when as a kid am I, am I learning about directors? Well, yeah, look, I've talked about in the show that Tim Burton was really my Burton's like training guy. wheels director where I'm like, I understand yeah. there's a person behind all of these I and he looks like a cartoon character. But, but I also remember there being a second kind of like, there is no Santa Claus moment where I, my parents revealed to me that he had not written most of any of his films. None of them, really. Yeah. Very few he gets any sort of credit on. And I was like, then what the fuck does this guy do? What is he? Right. Well, that's sure. That's right. the second question so there was of that like, thing. and what, what is it that they Like do? around nine or ten, I'd sort of taken for granted the director thing is just like, well, that's the person who makes the whole movie. You know? But I thought a lot of it was mostly, you see like your impressions yeah, 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 of yeah. directors on cartoon shows where someone sits in a chair and they have a megaphone 
But I was like, if they're not writing the thing, then what is that job? I guess it must have, right. Now I'm thinking, it must have been like Lucas and Spielberg and all right. that. I guess those are the first directors you're hearing about when you're a little kid. Anyway, yeah. interesting to think about. Anyway, I wasn't I wasn't like him. I didn't see the towering Inferno and go A plus and have someone go like, that's a C minus. What you need is directors. Well, look, it sounds like a bit of a snob, but it does. No, 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 no. It's very interesting. It's very, I yeah, I to have that lady. thing where you're like, right, because he's he's growing up in a in a culture where there is not a lot of film culture, and you're seeing big American movies, and they just feel like so exciting. This must be the biggest thing, the best thing you can do with this medium. She opens up this idea. I just think her even saying like there are people with visions and passions and individuality. He's like, oh, you can like say things. But he doesn't even connect the dots until no. he sees Vertigo. There we go. And do you know what else happens when he sees Vertigo, Griffin? He falls down a flight of stairs. That would suck for him yeah. and that might have injured him. No. He meets a female student from another mm. university that same day. Mm. His wife! Well, the oh, woman man. he marries! Yes. His first love? He calls her his first love, which his is very, love. very, very yeah. sweet. Yes. Um. So, uh, while he's at the university, he starts writing... Um some uh, film reviews to make some money. Mm -hmm. uh, he apparently been banned from tutoring. Well, I don't know what he did. He just says he was banned. <laughs> he just told kids that the Towering Inferno sucks. <laughs> um, cycled repeated. And then he would make stories based on the scripts of Hollywood movies before their release in Korea with subtitles. So it sort of sounds like he was writing like, bootleg novelizations of Hollywood movies in Korean. I, I read this a couple of times. To get like a head of them. Very confused by it. Because there was obviously like the whole cottage industry of like movie novelizations that was so big in the 70s and 80s and 90s. But it sounds like this was not quite that. But I mean, I want to read, look, I can't read Korean. So I'm Same. probably never going to experience this joy. But to think that, as he says, he wrote a Korean mm -hmm. sort of story version of the film, Stakeout with yes. Richard Dreyfuss yes. and Emilio Estevez. Uh -huh. Is that right? Is Estevez right. in that? Yeah. And then he like sees them based on the script alone. Yes. And then he sees the movie later and he's like, oh, wow, this is like nothing like what right. I wrote That's about. Like, thing, I want to read like, his When there his were take. like Hollywood novelizations, even you if know, they weren't getting to see the final film, they were working hand in hand. They, they knew, you know, the, the, those are usually, it's like, you're like, oh, it's like 80% of the movie and then there's right. some extra stuff that's kind of weird or whatever. Right, stuff that got left on the cutting room floor was early part of development or whatever. This sounds like he was largely engaging in speculative fiction, yeah. writing like guidebooks that would summarize movies before they came out to get people excited about them, but he hadn't seen the films. Um, No, he just read scripts and he says in his way he considers this a training ground for making films mm -hmm. which I could sort of see sure he has to like read a script and kind of transmute it mm -hmm. um, there's no film schools in Korea in 1980 he says um, so you know instead he's basically just like studying quote unquote art mm -hmm. I think in general um, and this is during a time of national turmoil uh, the whole pro-democracy movement. There's lots and lots of revolution happening. And he says he did not really participate in the pro-democracy movement himself. It doesn't go with my personality, but I have a lot of friends who were involved. Witnessed lots of conflict with the police. Uh, felt respect for the heroic actions of students who tied themselves to buildings and risked their lives. Again, this is an important part of Korean history. We'll probably, we may touch on it in this series. Mm -hmm. Eh, probably not. I'm trying to sort of think through his filmography. I don't think he really gets to that. 
like the handmaiden is set, you know, during Japanese occupation or whatever. Like yeah. usually he I, I, anyway. But you can read all about this sort of stuff. But the way he puts it is I felt this complex mix of emotions throughout college, as did everyone who grew up in my generation, just about the police and authority and you know how to resist it and mm-hmm. all this stuff. His graduation is delayed. He takes a gap year. He completes his military service. Then he starts working as like a PA in Korean movies. And then as a first assistant director, he worked on Kwok Jae-yong's film Watercolor Painting on a Rainy Day. Mm-hmm. Good title? Yeah, like, someone yeah. nab that title, please. <laughs> That's a great Chris Pratt in Watercolor Painting on a Rainy Day. It definitely sounds like a Pratt vehicle. <laughs> That's the first thing that came to mind, David. You hit the nail on the head with that one. I uh, just love the name of it. Uh, you know... Uh, and then while he's working as below the line guy, he's writing mm-hmm. screenplays of his own. He marries his wife, Kim Yun Hee, uh, who he uh, remains with to this day. He runs all of his scripts past her. It's nice. He says, I rely on one person's judgment. I would discuss every detail with my wife from the beginning of a screenplay to the music I use after the film's finished shooting. She comes up with some very interesting ideas and insights. And he's still writing criticism during all of this? Yes. Uh, yes, as far as I know. I don't know. He he really kind of catches on as a critic in the early '90s when people really start yes, engaging with his work seriously. Yes, right. Yeah, he uh, lies to his mother-in-law that he wants to pursue a career in academia. Starts mm-hmm. to look for more film industry work. Works at a production company that's getting foreign films into Korea, which is a booming business after 1988 when the restrictions get lifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he would select films. He would design posters. Apparently, Vincent and Theo, the Robert Altman yes, film. He said that was the best film, film he worked with. on yes. at that time. Yeah. Never seen. That. You've never seen that, really? No, I have not. It's seen it. It's really a good. It's about Vincent Van Gogh. Yes, Vincent Van Gogh. And his uh, brother, who was his uh, art dealer. Uh, and it's Tim Roth. Tim Roll. Um, Sorry, I just had to make that joke. Yes, uh, uh, right. I never. No, I've never seen it. I've I, seen the um, the Kirk Douglas one where he's like, "Ah, yeah. my paintings. This is what he's like." Oh, I gotta pull my damn hair off. <laughs> Too busy painting. It's not a bad movie. Two years. It's not a bad movie. <laughs> anyway, uh, what about Vincent Atheos? No, I there was a big uh, Altman retrospective at MoMA a couple years ago, and I went to see that. But that's one of those movies that was, I believe, a British miniseries that was then cut down for American theatrical release. Uh-huh. So I think I saw the theatrical version, which is 220, but the miniseries basically adds an hour onto that. God damn. Uh, I don't know if that's in circulation. I just, I've always kind of wanted to watch the longer version, but it's uh, it's incredibly good. I mean, that's that weird era of Altman's career where he's trying to rebuild and figure out who he is in between Popeye and the player, you know? Mm-hmm. Where he does a lot of play adaptations. Uh, but Vincent Theo is really good. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll do Altman at some point. It'll take five years. Uh, we'll do him one day. Maybe. Who knows? It's a lot of movies. And you want to do them. I know. We'll spl- we split up in a couple, yeah, couple yeah, sections. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. One reason he starts working at this production company, Mm -hmm. they promise to eventually finance his feature directorial debut. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, right, that was the main reason he was working there. Was basically, you know, they'll get if I'm here long enough, they'll they'll let me make something. Um, Eventually, they're like, okay, the time has come, but 
they'd suggest that he makes uh, sort of a Zucker Brothers parody of something. Incredibly bizarre. <laughs> uh, and he says, I can't do that, uh, partly because there's no script, partly because I just don't want that to be my debut. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks to another friend who works at a different film company, and he says, look, once you've made a movie, they're going to treat you differently. You just got to make a movie. You know, right. Like, Even you if know, your first movie uh, is uh, bad sucks or whatever, you know, right. just there's, you just there's a difference of conversation if you come to them as someone who has been a feature film director, has one under your belt. So and he says, OK, fine, I'll work on a movie of my own. I'll work on a screenplay. Uh, his first idea is about a union buster getting murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shoot that down. They're like, that sounds too political. We don't want to touch that. Uh, sure. So then instead they rush something. Uh, he, him and his uh, colleague. Kim Young Tae, right? The moon is dot 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 the sun's dream. Now look. Mm-hmm. Now look. Now look. I don't know. Maybe that title has not that I could not find any. I don't know why this is called that. They say it at the very end of the movie. But like, like I don't know if that is. But some even when they Korean say it, I'm aphorism. Like, why are you saying this? But like, if I'm like, I really want to break into movie making. I'm really yes. trying to find something that'll click. I don't know if I'm gonna bust out the moon is the sun's dream. No. Uh, as as my sort of hooky title. No, but, um, no. It's also not, it's like, a, unlike a, a watercolor painting on a rainy day, or what, what's that, what's the title of the upcoming Chris Pratt movie we have in development? Oh, yeah, uh, sorry, fuck, uh, water, watercolor painting on a rainy day. <sighs> yeah. You hear that and you're like, tracking $400 million. Yep. Yeah, what am I thinking about here? Uh, sounds nice. Moon is the sum's dream. You're like, what the fuck? Go home. You're drunk. What are you talking about? Go home. About? You're drunk. Go home. You're drunk. Yeah. Well, look, he busts out this sort of noiry parody movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's obviously inspired by sort of, you know, Hollywood B movies, right? Right. And stuff like that. Which you know, a fun, lot of, pulpy stuff. A lot of his uh, career as a critic, he was like, uh, he really tried to position himself primarily from the position of uh, advocacy. Like, he was like, I only want to write about things I like. There's no need for me to take stuff down, mm-hmm. you know? Not that he was a fucking poptimist who argues let people enjoy things. But it's like, I'm going to use my platform to write about movies that I think should be taken seriously rather than, like, uh, attacking things. Right. And uh, it was a combination of sort of a tourist stuff, but also, like, a lot of, a lot of B-movie stuff. Alien 3 was a movie he fought for he, really he hard. He likes Alien 3. Yeah. But I he, think he would he, stick up for that. I think he was sort of an early proponent, especially in uh, uh, South Korea, of trying to force people to recognize the artistry in B movies, pulp movies, genre movies. It makes sense that he would start from this kind of place. What is surprising about this movie is sort of the combination of it, it, it is like so broad and self-serious at the same time. Right. You know? Yes, I do know. Like, it sort of has, like, pretension without having depth. Uh, You hear about where he was coming from when he made this movie, and it would make more sense if it was just, like, a really trashy noir film. Right. No, but this movie is too, like, experimental and up its own ass Yeah. to actually be fun. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. It would be much better if it was just like... Profound. You know, fucking... Yeah, it's two guns and a girl and a, you know, a bag of money or whatever. There's just like a very simple... simple version of this. Whereas, like, I kept on finding this movie so confusing 
And then when I sort of made sense of it, I was like, oh, the plot is actually very straightforward. It's just the movie is poorly constructed. Well, well let me tell you Park Chan-wook's uh, yeah. take there, which is he says... My position was that I had to write a new script in a short period of time, and I decided uh, to shoot this conventional story in an experimental style. Okay. I had a childish attitude that I would put out a new kind of movie, the likes of which had never been seen in previous Korean films, and I had the idea of trying to twist the structure and conventions of genre film, but I wasn't mm -hmm. satisfied with the result. So he's kind of like, yeah, sure, it seems simple, but I'll fuck it up, right? you know, by doing all this cool, interesting, like, storytelling stuff. And it says, like, no, you just made your movie unwatchable. Basically, and we're no... not all Tarantino. I know Tarantino is right. is a contemporary of his, yes. essentially, but still, like you know, it's it's hard to pull all that shit off. There's not like a clear rhyme or reason to the way he fucks up. To it's just like trying a bunch of shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the prism through which this movie is kind of interesting, and 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 Trio, I think, has a different shit going on. But just you know, a lot of like, especially for someone who is has been writing about film who has been thinking about film from a pretty academic perspective. Yeah. The difference between the way you think about movies and interpret them versus the actual act of making one on the ground, let alone uh, turning your ideas into something that is understandable to audiences. This movie is him just throwing a lot of shit at the wall. It doesn't have, um, I, I don't know, even the clarity or or the excitement of someone experimenting and just having fun. Right. You know, it it feels a little too self-serious to be yeah, even interesting as like a demo reel. Yeah. If that makes sense. Do you yeah, know what I'm saying? Got, but it's got flair. It's got like it's, some flair. It's got some flair. I don't know if this is like a, a horribly reductive. The thing, I was like, what is this reminding me of? And so much of the time it was like, the weird narrative videos that will sometimes play behind karaoke tracks. Sure, sure, sure. You know what I'm talking about? Where yes, you're like, someone like filmed this and there's like some story here. There's like zooms and handheld shots and there's people in darkness. And, and this is not a music video cool for outfits. this song. This yeah. was made specifically Look, for karaoke I'm systems. not a karaoke guy. I'm a big karaoke guy. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, but the other part of it is like the, the way this movie uses songs in montages felt very much like that. It does feel like a series of melodramatic music videos. You know what karaoke means though? What? In Japanese? What? Empty orchestra. And now that's a name for a movie. It's a cool name. Yeah. Oh, 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 you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Um, so yeah. All right. So anything else to see about this movie? So he, um, well, according to Park, it's really fortunate that not many of you have seen my first film for you and for me. Yeah. I made it when I was in my twenties and I had blind ambition to make a film. So that's how I got to make that film. And it's a uh, very low budget and sentimental and it's very dot, 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 you know, dot, dot, dot awful. Yeah. <laughs> What's the basic plot of this movie? Oh, there's, okay. a, there's a gangster. Yes. Muhun, uh, who is played by Lee Sung-chul, who is like a huge uh, Korean singer. 
this was the big thing. He was a, a huge uh, Korean like pop star, and then he got busted for marijuana. What? They found wacky tobacco on him. Smoking that jazz cigarette. And the government uh, scolded him, banned him from television. Damn. Because it's the early 90s, right? Couldn't couldn't be, uh, yeah. Right. So there was this business calculation of, if we put him in our film, he is banned from TV right now. Yeah. He still has adoring fans. Right. They'll actually just come see it because it'll be be the the only only outlet. outlet. Yes. And they screen the movie the first time and it sells out and there's like fucking mob outside and Park's like, here we go. I got a hit on my hands, rubbing it together, you know? Mm -hmm. And then night two, no one shows up and he was like, oh, they just came because he was there and they wanted his fucking autograph. No one cares about this movie. The gambit did not work. Right. They they will come to see him in person. Look, I don't even think he's good or bad in this movie, but Park seems to think he was bad because yeah, he's not an actor. Took a lot of credit for, uh, or not credit, he took a lot of responsibility for, I did not know how to work with actors at that point. He, he does talk about that, read both these movies. I treated them like cattle. He yes, was sort of so right. obsessed with the Hitchcock thing and the way that Hitchcock talked about actors as props and set dressing. Right. And just like, you're not a human being. You're a piece of equipment look, for me to manipulate. Yeah, but Hitchcock was also just like a salty little bitch. He understood movie stars. He just liked to be mean about them Correct. as well. It was a mind game thing. Yeah, exactly. I think the way he talked about movie stars publicly Bear. was very different than the way he actually thought That's of my them. my impression of Hitchcock. Yes. Bear. Yeah. Um, it's like all that shit you read about John Ford where you're like, why was he such an asshole? And everyone's like, he was the most sensitive man in the world. Right. And right. it was all this like defensive like armor right, against a, a horrible industry that he knew like preyed on insecurity. But there's a gangster. Yeah. He's in Busan, which the uh-huh. film is set in Busan, which is the sort of Korea's second city mm-hmm. after Seoul, a very big city. Uh, and then he has a half brother mm-hmm. who's a photographer and is a bit of a, you know, nebbish. I sure, would say. Sure, yeah. Uh, sort of a glasses guy. Uh, don't, and don't you hate that? <laughs> we do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Mahoon is caught having an affair mm-hmm. with his boss's mistress. Yes. And so they run off with some money and then they're caught and she is sold into prostitution. Yes. And I scarred. believe and scarred. Right. And then he later, year, like a year later or something, finds a photo of her uh-huh. that his brother took and tries to rescue her. And they get, you know, they're on the run from the mob, right? Like that is sort of the plot of the movie. You wouldn't really pick that up from watching this movie, in my opinion. No, it's sort of like, a, right, a couple different men who are all in love with the same woman who is scarred. By yeah, the photographer is is a part of all of this, right? But I he mostly is just kind of like ah, you know. But but it's the it's way also, you just recounted is not out of order. order exactly. And so like it begins with her getting scarred. There's and this odd there's element this of scene everyone, where she's getting her photo taken, right. you know, like and all that. Like everyone in the reality of the movie kind of acts like she is unrecognizable, but for the scar, right? Like if if you don't notice her scar, she looks like anyone in the world. She's like uh, Olivia Cook in um, Ready Player One, right? Is the birthmark. But it's like when her hair yeah. is down, people are like, "Who is this?" <laughs> and then they see the scar, and they're like, "My God!" Right. Uh, that's but true. that's sort of how they are able to re-identify her because the photographer brother takes the pictures of her, and the mistake is that the scar is showing. Yes, and that sort of puts her back. It gets very convoluted. Yeah. And really hard to follow. Yeah. There's a 
part where they watch a Charlie Chaplin movie. That yeah. part's fun. Part's kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, this is a little bit of the Fast X problem, right? You're like, what's the best scene in this Honestly, movie? Honestly, did not think you were going to compare this film to Fast X. Fast What's X. the best scene? You mean the best scenes in Fast X are where they're showing you clips from Fast yeah. Five? Yeah. Totally. The opening of Fast X is like six minutes from Fast Five, and you're like, this fucking rips. And then when it cuts to the actual movie itself, you're like, well, now this feels twice as bad. The best part of The Moon is the Sun's Dream is just watching like six minutes of Charlie Chaplin in the middle. Mm, I don't know. I was taking a lot of notes with some of these fits. Okay. The yeah. guy. Uh, people the, look pretty good in this. Oh, yeah. my God. Nice Everyone look looks great. Yeah. The leather jacket in particular. Sure. Any other fits? I mean, this is if if you have the photographers also got his own sort of more um, fancy looks. Uh, sure. Long trench coat, sort of cuts of the the time, boxier sort of straight leg, but everyone looks great. It's just the gangsters look great. You know, this film is frustrating to watch because uh, he becomes so good at this later. Like, mm. Decision to Leave is a movie that is aggressively confusing, but is able to hold your attention while knowing that it's it's not showing its full hand to you, right? Sure. I don't find Decision to Leave that confusing. I, it's it's a jumbled movie. It's, it's meant to disorient. Mm. We'll talk about it on... Uh... That's not true. We're, we're never talking about that uh, movie on this podcast. Uh, I keep looking, Dave. September 3rd. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Sorry. Um, as you say, they did have this gambit of maybe we'll get this pop stars fans to show up. They didn't no, really. Didn't give a shit. Uh, uh, this legend goes, uh, this is hard to verify, JJ says, because he does not read Korean. Mm -hmm. um, the film's release was so, so, un so unsuccessful that no one reviewed it, so Park himself uh, wrote a review under a in a university newspaper under a pseudonym. Slammed it. Uh, he probably, yeah, he does not say whether he was positive. I don't think he was. Yeah. So, whatever. Mm -hmm. Let's leave The Moon is the Sun stream okay. now. Right? How long have we been going? An hour. Perfect. Moon is the Sun stream fails. Park's got to make money for his family. Mm -hmm. He has a kid, a daughter in 1994. Mm -hmm. He's not going to make movies, it seems. Doesn't seem like that's going to work out for him. So this is when he starts writing more film criticism. And I think this is, this when, is when he really catches on. Ex sure. Yeah. When he, 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 I think, well, let's, let's see. Um, uh, he's writing reviews for magazines, mm -hmm. of course. He uh, has a book yes. called The Discreet Charm of Film Watching, which is a pretty cute title yeah, yeah, for yeah, a I book, like it. Yeah, book, yeah. Uh, which became a bestseller in Korea. Mm -hmm. um, he would talk about Hitchcock. And Nicholas Ray, but also like Sam Raimi or Alien 3. Uh, he loves the Sam Peckinpah film, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Mm -hmm. uh, he's writing seriously, but not exactly academically. Right. I think uh, it was a little more approachable. Positively. Yes. Like, I don't think, you know, this isn't Pauline Kale where she's like, Sound of Music, more like the sound of a flushing toilet. Yeah. That was maybe the most brutal thing she ever wrote. Um, you know, not exhaustive, not covering everything, covering mm -hmm. what he likes or mm -hmm. what he thinks is interesting or worth analysis. Mm -hmm. There's that shift in his status where the first movie, he is such a marginal figure. By the time Trio comes out, not to jump ahead, people are are like, oh, this is the movie from that it's guy. It's the critic guy. Right. 
It's, it's uh, Jay Sherman yeah, made a movie. See. Let's see if he can uh, put his money where his mouth is. So, Ryo Sung Won, mm-hmm. again, I apologize. Ryu Sung Won, who is um, eventually going to uh, make the film Escape from Mogadishu and other, other Korean films himself, but he uh, is so fond of Park's criticism mm-hmm. that he seeks him out, right, reads one of his articles and thinks, I should work for this man, goes and meets him, and there becomes his first assistant director on Trio. Okay. Uh, quote from this guy, though, unfortunately, this film is considered the worst in his filmography. <laughs> I, I do like that they all just like happily shit on these movies. Park is even more critical of this one yes. than Moose Sun Dream. I think because this is Well, I think he's like, what, I didn't fucking learn anything from the last one? Like another another, you know, crap one from me? See, I think another turd. I think this is a major step up on a relative scale, but I also think I to him, know. this is so much closer to being a real movie it that is. the things that fucks up probably are more frustrating to him right. than the moon is the sun's dream, which is just like, well, this is just amateurish. I don't know what I'm getting at yet. Like, this movie, more than anything, I think it has some good ideas in its basic setup. And then tonally, it's got, like, no idea how to say them or what it's even trying to say. propulsive. It's just not that... It doesn't really grab me. Look. I like the characters. Yeah. You know, you like the lonely saxophonist. It's a very Griffin character. Yeah. Um, But, no, it's like, you know, how Kubrick made Fear and Desire. Yes. You can watch Fear and Desire and be like, hey, this is the beginning. There are seeds of something interesting here. But if you see it in 1953, you're like, boo, sure, rotten. Yes. No you know, good. like it's only interesting in any context. I mean, our our buddy Alex Ross Perry made the very good point. It's, it's nice. It makes you feel good. Even a genius had to make some shit, you know, to figure it out. Right. It's 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 kind of uh, especially from the, the with the prism through which we tend to talk about people in their careers and whatever. It's so much harder if it's like this person landed and they were genius. They had great 100%. thoughts and they knew how to communicate them perfectly. It's not just that it's, like, humbling to watch something like Fear and Desire and have it suck, but it's also the fact that uh, it it gives you the ability to actually see um, craft and and thought and approach uh, develop, you know? a little of that. Yeah. uh, In these, I guess. But, you know, just a little. I I Uh, think much more in Trio, but Trio ends up being... Uh, g- glib and how it handles almost everything. Well, let me tell you how he made Trio. Yep. Let's see. Even though he took a break from making movies, he didn't stop trying. He would go from company to company, give them plans. He had a bunch of scripts that he'd written. They would like always get rejected. This time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he had been branded as a director who knew a lot about movies, but would only make cult movies that not no one would see. Mm-hmm. Some of the movies he wrote. Something called The Flower of Evil. A horror film about a set of male and female twins. Mm. Something called Fight Night. Mm -hmm. The story of a rock band. Yeah. uh, From JJ. Sorry, that's all I have about this one. LOL. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Something called Anarchists. An action film about a covert group of anarchists. This one actually does get made. Overthrow the Japanese government in 1924 in Shanghai. And this did get made by Mm -hmm. Yu Young-sik in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So, sounds cool. Um, he had a lot of friends, apparently. Kept him feel feeling sane. He That's had a good lot news. Of friends That's good there, news. Really? Seeing yeah. here he had friends. He was a sociable sort. <laughs> so it'd be funny if it was like, Handy, here's Parka. Uh, I knew no one for five years <laughs> and was constantly lonely. Yeah. No, he had buds. Yeah. Uh, you know, he ate three meals a day often. We hope so. Um sleeping was a hobby. 
He had a bud so called. Would even call it a bit of a profession. A bud he would called. Spend upwards of one third of his day doing. Lee Honey says who had made a low budget film. He died. Uh, he's he's no he's no longer with us. But uh, he they he said we had in common the fact that we both hated films with posturing, flash, and trickery. We scoured through films made by directors who didn't pretend to be artists or great masters, masters, and we had long discussions. That's all interesting to hear. It's just that I do feel like his movies, these two movies, are kind of a little heavy on the flash. Especially and trio. Trio's like <laughs> yes. all fucking like bravado. Trio's got like a shot that goes through like a bullet wound in yeah, a hand. Like, like it's got all this right. very flashy stuff for like a low budget movie. Yes. All right. So Trio, he, uh, you know, wants to make a more stripped down film. Mm hmm. He wants to make what he calls a graduation piece ending my cinephile period. Mm -hmm. Simple film, frank and unobstructed, without sensitive, to, you know, without uh, quoting other films, uh, without flash or trickery, he says once again. Not true. Not really true. No. Uh, I saw myself as someone without the aptitude for fluff films, art films, socially conscious films. I wanted to make a film that didn't belong to any category. Uh, you know, it's a lot of things he's saying. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't think he succeeded. Um, he wanted to start with something very minor. Uh, sure. People starting to trying to solve problems by depending on family or religion while emphasizing that no one can solve your problems but yourself. Okay. Uh, no, I can't. Sure. It's, it's, look, this movie's about three characters. Yeah. A trio, if you will. What? People who end up together who are all sort of at... Um, a point of th their lives have sort of atrophied yes. for different reasons in different ways. They are all sort of frustrated and bored and despondent and angry in, in different uh, uh, permutations uh, and basically end up being all drawn together to go on a crime spree yes. and form this weird sort of uh, family unit. But you have uh, this sort of one young guy who's sort of a wannabe gangster who is uh, unintelligent. <laughs> he, he often says how bad his, uh, his low, how low his IQ scores are. Yes, there is one man who essentially describes himself as a simpleton. Yes. yes. Uh, but he is sort of driven by machismo and rage and right. posturing. And uh, uh, then there's a very depressed uh, a jazz man. A suicidal saxophonist. He's always trying to hang himself. Yes. The, you have this sort of opening like uh, Harold who's, and Maude. Who's, who is a cuck. Right. And I'm seeing here he wasn't played by Jason Clark. Weird. Huh? American remake win. <laughs> Um, but no, you have this secret. I think it's kind of It's fun. a great role, Jason. He's a saxophonist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now he's suicidal. Why is he suicidal? <laughs> well, he did get cocked. Fine. He's got a wife. Jason, he does have a wife. I'll take it. His wife does like a having Jason, you're playing a nanobot terminator, and you know, he gets cocked. Sure. Oops. Just because oh, every role he plays. Yeah. Go on, sorry. Your mom cucks you with your dad? <laughs> sure. You're playing Abraham Lincoln? I am? No, he did get cucked. Wait, don't, don't worry, he did. I, am I totally wrong in remembering play. Genesis having some weird sexual dynamic between I, him and the mom? I, I wish I could answer that question for you, but I, unfortunately, I do not remember. I, just, I don't know if it's just I'm bringing Jason Clark baggage with the movie to me, but I remember watching it being like, it feels like he's jealous of Kyle Reese. <laughs> Maybe he is. Maybe he is. That he's not his own dad. That he's not the one. I, I, I almost want us to do the Terminator movies Same. on Patreon. Like, partly because we can watch, like, two really good movies yeah, and one that we pretty fun movie. Yeah. 
and then three different attempts to revive the franchise that are all incredibly flawed and forgotten. See, basically. Dark Fate, I really like. But I, it, I it remember is liking weird it the best how of the three, but yeah. the, they're all forgotten. Yes. And two of them have Arnie in different roles. Yes. Like one of them it, has fake CGI Arnie. Yeah, that's true. They all have yeah. some version of yeah. Arnie. You're right. Yeah. yeah. God, maybe we should do them. Terminator. I think we should. Yeah. All right. We've decided that we're going to do the Terminator movies on Patreon yeah. next year, probably. Okay. Uh, uh, trio. Wait, but I was going to say, okay, so there's, right. The suicidal guy. He keeps on trying and failing to kill himself. There's the, the sort of stupid, violent guy. He walks there's in the on his wife. woman who's got him. the mission, missing child. Oh, but that was, uh, he, okay, okay, he okay, walks okay, in okay. on his he's, wife he's his fucking wife. a guy yes. while his, his child lies just like there in bed, right? Uh, yes, he does. He does see this. Yes. And he's just so depressed. You that see, he, he sees her, her breasts. Yes. She's she's nude with another man. And she does not stop fucking this guy when he walks in. Uh-huh. No, she doesn't. She just locks eyes with him. Right, and keeps doing it. And he just takes all of his shit. Yeah. And lights the house on fire as he leaves. Right. And walks away. And it's takes just his like, daughter. And takes his daughter. I'm done with this. Yes. Right. And then the third woman, the, he and his, his violent, dumb friend sort of decide to rob a cafe out of, like, apathy. Right? Sure. Wants to. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, there's something I like to just them being like, we're so fucking bored. Right. And despondent and miserable. Why not just, like, do a, a radical thing? And uh, a woman who is in the, the, the shop when they commit the robbery comes back to them. Yeah. And sort of volunteers herself to be the third member, says she has a lead on a couple that they can rob. Yeah. And when they get there, it turns out it is uh, her ex. Right? Who has left her for a younger woman. Yes. She's trying to locate her child right. that she had she's with this man. This, yes. She's got this missing child. Right. And he claims that he murdered the kid. Briefly. But he didn't. No. The kid's actually alive. Yes. Gotta find him. Um, and the three of them form this weird family unit trying to find the kid. Yes. Semi-crime spree. Apparently it has some basis or he was sort of inspired by this like series of armed robberies that had happened in Korea. Okay. So maybe that's why because like it doesn't really make sense that they're on a crime spree. You know what I mean? Like you know so like it's sort of like he is just kind of like tying it to this real thing. Yeah. I don't don't think this movie takes place in any uh, uh, world of realism. Um, I think it is more just about a, a mood and a vibe. And I agree with Ben. Like, I do think this movie does have semi-successful vibes at times. Yeah, well, Ben said it was Vaporwave. Both of them. And I said, sometimes does that just mean 90s? Yeah. <laughs> and Ben said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, you know, just any kind of vague reference to Asian culture sort of makes right. it Vaporwave. But to me, Vaporwave is like the Encarta loading screen or whatever. That's right. like, you know... Supreme vaporwave. You said right? echo the, the jazz music in this. Though, yes, it, right? Right. combined sure, sure, sure. with the echo the dolphin, dolphin, but then sort of manipulated in some you know slowed right. down kind of, and right. chopping and or yeah, screwing. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. You said uh, Ben does vaporwave sometimes just mean nineties, and Ben locked eyes with you, and then purple smoke started <laughs> leaking out of his ear stud <laughs> while, while MIDI music started playing. Error. <laughs> um, Park says uh, yeah. the theme of the film is very simple it's about how no one can take responsibility for your life except yourself mm-hmm. uh, apparently he gave a three hour lecture to the production staff who were all dubious about what kind of a theme that was 
But he definitely had this in his head. Yes. Well, because all three of them are people who are just like I've I've sort of been fucked by the world. Yes. Right. All three of them are people who are angry mm -hmm. in a general sense or self hating, but also like uh, uh, furious about their circumstances. And I and think they're a little psycho. They're yes, all a little. They they've all, all lost it. They've all kind of snapped and it, it's right the whole crime spree is just them trying to like exact revenge on the world right that they think is not fair to them yes but it doesn't solve anything it doesn't make anything better yeah and their their issues are so different yes that they they're not they don't really make sense as an ideological team if that makes I sense. I don't mind. what I kind of like about it, though, that they're, like, incompatible Well, apparently people. this is your favorite film of all time. This is the number one best movie we've ever covered on the podcast. I'll say this. I've been uh, making a list. I just... You're, like, wholly dismissive of this entire stinks. thing. I think this has got stinker. interesting moments can and I, scenes. Can I ask it. you a follow-up? Yeah. You're checking it twice? I'm checking it twice. Where I'm, you're like, making you know, a list. Well, I'm trying to rank the Park movies as I rewatch sure. them. These are yeah. the only... No, I've I the I've seen every Park film except for these two, uh -huh. which I've now seen and deemed bad. Uh -huh. And I'm a cyborg, but that's okay. Yeah, I can't believe you haven't seen that one. Uh, I mean, it's the namesake of our miniseries. You think you would have watched it? Not. Wait, well, let me check the poll. It's pretty sure it's winning. Let me check the poll. You didn't put your thumb on the scale. I'm gonna email Lynn right now. Yeah, you didn't get Twitter blue. No. Uh, let's see the poll right now. This remains sympathy for Mr. Podcast about four points ahead of decision of podcast. I'm a pod is pulled to 20%. Okay. Um, no, I'm a cyborg. You know, I was in college when that movie came. I don't know. Like, the, I, the, it was harder to see things, maybe. I don't know. Uh, uh, but anyway, but I did yeah. put Trio above uh, The Moon is the Sun's Dream on my current two film list of park movies. You know, I'll, I'll add to it as I rewatch every film. You <laughs> sure. know what I mean? So yeah. it, it, it did get, it, it nudged ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, but I did not think it was very good. I just zoned out so quickly. And I don't think that is true of any of his other films that I've experienced. You know, like I, usually I he really grabs like, me. Immediately on the moon. Yeah, this yeah I, mean, I, was, I didn't like that one either. This, <laughs> I, I, this I was going in and out. Because there's scenes that are compellingly The first strange. 10, 15 minutes of, the, of Trio, I was like, he thinks this one's bad? I don't know. No, like, this is all right. And it's also just like, it. it is... Uh, and then I just kind of lost it. it. Like, it looks good. It moves well. It's got some action. It's yeah. got some action. Um, th there's a... What was I going to say? This feels like the kind of movie that he could remake and be like, you know what? I now know how to tell this story and you make mean it like, into a good film. Kind of how people thought Cronenberg was going to remake Crimes of the Future. Yes. And then he was like, nah, I just like that title. Right. It's like right. just a different movie. But there are other examples. I mean, even we were saying the, the Housemaid was remade and things. Yeah, like no, that. for sure. You know, people just being like, I didn't really quite Remaking know. your movie is kind of a fun vibe. You're yeah. like early film. Yeah, yeah especially when it's an early, that. early one. I was trying to think of other examples and I kept on instead getting caught on the Cronenberg not doing yeah. that. Yeah. I feel like it has happened. I mean, what? Hitchcock, Hitchcock remade himself twice. Well, he remade um, Man Who Knew, uh, Man Who Knew Too little. Much. Not Little. Little. Uh, and I do, but I think hey, the original what you, is. What are you squeaking over there? It's my chair. Uh, I do think the original is better. I think the remake is much oh, worse. Oh, interesting. Sure. But the remake is certainly much more yeah. dazzling and has yeah. major stars and is in color and all that. Isn't there another film of his own that he remade? Uh, probably. I don't know. Okay. Look, Trio, we can talk about it more if you want, but I will note that um, it didn't do very well. And yeah. uh, Park thought, is the whole industry in cahoots to ridicule me? Is everyone sure. conspiring to ridicule me until I collapse from exhaustion? 
Yeah. Um, and so he thinks I'm going to walk away. This isn't going to work for me, but you're, you're saying like this movie checks, you just fucking check out on it. There are scenes that are incredibly bizarre. I mean, there's like the scene where the, the, the violent guy in the trio comes back to the, the hotel room where they're hiding out of the apartment or whatever. And uh, the depressed saxophonist is uh, massaging the woman's breast. Yes. And he thinks they're having an affair. Yes. And he's instead trying to help her because the kid won't nurse. Yes. That seems interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They're all just really depressed and doing this. <laughs> I think like, you like it because they're all depressed. Yeah, I do. You know what? I kind of related to this movie. I might go out and do some crimes. No, no I crimes. Might, David, why not? It's against the law. Know, who cares? Yeah, probably. Um, You're going to have to get an earring. That's the first crime I'm going to commit. Uh, crime of fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Look. <laughs> going to get a long chain coming off my ear. Uh, as this film is failing, Park feels like he's being tagged with, he's the cult movie guy. Sure. He's the B-movie guy. Mm -hmm. As a critic, this guy was like a champion of kind of like pulpier, smaller movies. Sure. So he thinks that people are tagging his actual directorial efforts as similar. Like, oh, he makes like, you know, glossed up trash. Because right. like, that's what he likes. He right. likes to take that kind of a movie. Anti-intellectual. Right. Yeah. So he's like, fine, I want to make a popular film that's much more like sort of professional. Right. And so Joint Security Area, which is his next film, is like him being like, I need to make a mainstream feeling movie. Yeah. Which is interesting because I wouldn't call that movie mainstream feeling, but like, I've never seen them. Cause I um, them. it is really good. And it is like, it is certainly also a movie with like a very direct concept. Mm -hmm. It's a mystery film. It's set in a really specific location. Sure. It, it, it is not like these movies at all. And really. it was a big ass hit. It was the biggest, I think it was the biggest Korean film ever made. Yeah. So it is wild that he goes from, you know, this poo-poo platter. Right. To, like, the one of the biggest films in his country's history. But that also, not that it was, like, uh, uh, made cynically, but that he was like, fine, you want a movie that works? It is just funny to think about him And going, then he like, was correct, and he knew how to do it. My mistake was not making a movie people want to see that yes. is good. Right. So I guess I'll do that next, next time, time. You know what? Fuck you guys. Yeah, I'm you know make what? a good one next time. <laughs> it's on site. Right. I feel like any other time someone tries to do that... You're like, well, if they knew how to make a good movie, they would have made a good movie the first time, A. And B, if you're that, like, sort of uh, dogmatically aiming for success at all costs, that ends up feeling kind of cynical or hollow. And the fact that it, like, worked is is a little fascinating to me. Uh, but also, sometimes we got to learn from our mistakes. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan style, of course. He also, sure. another guy who made... Two movies that didn't really You're right. connect. And then Sixth Sense was like, you know what? I'm going to make a movie that cannot not be a hit. 100%. He's like, let me think about what might right. like really just sort of What's pop undeniable. in a theater that's yeah. like very old-fashioned and straightforward. Yes. Again, not that the Sixth Sense or JSA are really that at all. No. They're very idiosyncratic movies, but they... Whatever. Results spoke for themselves. Yes. In both cases, the guys were vindicated. Um, yeah, the only other thing here you already had mentioned, which is basically like... He thinks he was, for both of these movies, really bad with the actors. Yeah. Very controlling, uh, treating them sort of like inf like intellectual inferiors, he thinks. Uh, and so he, he does think that's part of why these movies stahink. Mm. I just, it's hitting me, these both feel like Memento. Confusing, crime-based. Yeah, but Memento is like so good. 
that's the that but that's the that was the one thing <laughs> sure but yeah no nolan that, starts off with following and then he does memento and sure. those are both like you know heavy-handed crime crime movies yeah 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 but again good i mean way yes i mean memento is incredible but even following following is like pretty good like would you agree, Griffin? You're looking at your phone. Yeah, following's okay. I'm just I'm, I'm emailing Lynn to ask him to. You are not really. the iMessage. Don't don't waste no. that. Do ass. not waste that. I actually. We have a comfortable email <laughs> discourse no, going on. You're not doing that, are you? Really? I don't know what I'm doing. Let me see. No, I'm sending out a tweet. You're sending out a tweet. Oh, sure. You're. I'm also to. going through my context list and trying to think who else I can get to boost this. Um. Let me try and find box office games for these films. We're going to go. I guess we're going to. You know, I, I can't summon the Korean box office. Okay. I mean, right. I, I, I don't have that power. Do you not? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, God, how? I mean, that would be. I, I was just going to find the U.S. box office from the times these movies were released. Okay. But I, don't, I mean, I can try to I mean, see if there's like Korean box office going back to like 1992. But I don't I, look, David. You do, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing I'm uh, it might be fun. I I hear what you're saying, but like they might. I not even. I might not even be able to. Well, for one, I can't find a chart going that far back. Right. I can find charts sort of going back to like, you know, the mid 2000s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, like 2002 seems to be about as early. But even then, I can only find like calendar, like yearly charts. I can't really find weekly charts. Well, for this week, let's just do what you had planned initially, and we'll. I had it no out. plan whatsoever. Well, but I can find the fucking box office David, from 1992. David, David, don't tell. The I, I'm gonna don't. do what I've always planned. This show has been airtight until this moment. We've Make never sure. made a mistake. All right, hold on. Mistake. Let's just check the list that Every we prepared ahead of time and let me just cross. Okay, by we intentionality got that and perfect execution. Earring talk. Our entire smokescreen will collapse <laughs> if you admit that you did not have a plan going into this episode. Wait, where is the fucking box office from? Oh! Here we go. Here we go. All right. Um, So this film came out in, in some sense, very mm-hmm. small. February 29th uh, 1992 in Korea. Okay. Oh, weird. We've done this box office game. Really? Yeah. So, uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man's release date. Oh, weird. Okay. Um. So, number one, uh, SNL comedy. And it's not Memoirs. No, that's number two. What year is it again? 1992. It's Wayne's World. Wayne's World, exactly. Number three, Famed Bomb, a starring action star. Uh, Hudson Hawk? No, good guess. Uh, Stallone? Yeah. Uh, one of his three bombs. There's three bombs in a row. One of his three bombs? This is the most notorious. I feel. A, it's not Judge Dredd. No, which I just did on Jamel Bowie's podcast, uh, Unclear and Present Oh, that's Danger. a clever pick for them to... Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, it's no, no, come on. Uh, Comedy. Uh, terrible. Oh, oh, Oscar? No. Stop the or my one. mom will shoot. There you go. Okay. You like that movie? I think I did. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Number four. Uh, Didn't stick with me. Classic, quote-unquote, chick flick. You know the story about that movie that, like, Schwarzenegger and Stallone were caught up in such a competition that Schwarzenegger floated out that he was attached to this movie. 
so that Stallone out of spite would try to get I'll, it instead. I'll do it. And then Stallone signed on shortly. I was like, you fucking moron. I never would have done that. That script is dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> he basically pranked him into making that movie. It was like, I hear Schwarzenegger is going to pay like $15 million for the team up with Getty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, he does. He did. Schwarzenegger did confirm that. Uh, yeah. Stop my mom will shoot. Uh, number four. Come on. Classic chick flick. Classic chick flick. Thelma and Louise. Uh, still Magnolias. Fried Green Tomatoes. There you go. Fried okay. Green Tomatoes. Number five. One day we'll cover it on this podcast. One day. Yes. Uh, a uh, film from a very big director of the moment, but sort of one of his forgotten films, an adventure drama set in forests. Uh, Mosquito Crust? No. That's a good movie, though. Yeah. It's sort of a medical Oh, drama. it's Medicine Man. Medicine Man. We were talking McTiernan the other day that we got to just fucking do it. Just, we got to just buck up and do McTiernan. <laughs> then we can do The Predators or something. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that was Ben's, Ben's conversation Man. was, how how do we start talking Predators on this show? Uh, Yeah, we got it. Yeah. You want to talk Predators? Yeah, That's absolutely. Fine. Yeah. One uh, way or another, we got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it. All right. Now. Trio mm -hmm. came out in Korea in May. What number was Memoirs of Invisible Man on that list? Second. Okay. There we go. We did okay. Uh, came out in May 1997. May 24th, 1997. Okay. I don't have the South Korean box office for you. Okay. I'm sorry. Maybe as we move Apology through. Accepted. Yeah. You know, as we like move on. Yeah. Right. Uh, we can, I could tell you maybe like. We could talk about the top films at Korea that year. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Maybe we should have JJ start digging in. I'll Let's ask him if find. he can find any box office yeah. receipts, I guess. Yes. That's a notion. Just receipts of tickets people bought at that time. Uh, receipts of yeah. tickets. Yeah. We're going to see if JJ can receipts. track down like, like cell phone photographs of dirty 25 year old paper receipts. Um, so essentially, this film is coming out on America's Memorial Day weekend of 1997. Okay. And this is also a box office game we have done. Oh, although Lost long, World Jurassic long Park. ago, because yeah. it is the Lost World Jurassic Park. The biggest opening weekend of all time. $90 million. Absurd. At that time. Something Number has survived. Two, something has survived. Something has survived. Uh, and you know what the answer is? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Bum, 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 bum. Such a good episode. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> David is <laughs> doing stretch it out hand motion. <laughs> I'm just like, I really want to call like our own shop, but I'm just sitting back and watching this episode coming together in real time. And it's like, it's crazy to be part of something you know is going to go look, down in history. Look, we have it's a bunch of good guests be, coming up for like all the other episodes. It's going to be a great miniseries. Uh, it's going to be a fun miniseries. I think all three a lot of, us of great movies to cover. The all today these feeling pre-defeated. Pretty, pretty silly. Uh, yeah. No, not defeated. Just like, you know, what are we going to, what are we supposed to do? But it makes it more astonishing that out of that, we created the best episode we've ever done. Yeah. Well, you know, it's that egg salad sandwich I ate. No. Okay. Lost answer. World. Okay, okay. Number two. Number two. Dark comedy that I am a huge fan of. Addicted to a, love. Addicted to love. Bam. All right. Number three. Uh, science fiction film that I am a huge fan of. Uh, Well, it's not Lost in Space. No. no. 97. May. Fuck. 
Uh, it's not Event Horizon? No. Good movie, though. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a pretty big hit, okay. but not massive, but very big worldwide. Uh, tell me, which studio? Uh, the studio is Sony. Sony, 1997, May, sci-fi, big worldwide. Fuck. Uh, uh, fifth Element? The Fifth Element. There we go. There we go. Number four, yeah. comedy. Yeah. Spoof. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, it's not a weigh-ins? No. Uh, it's not a, a Zucker. No. Oh, oh Austin Powers. Austin International Powers. Man of Mystery. International Man of Mystery. Number five, a wonderful, uh, pulpy thriller that I think we both really like. Mm-hmm. Um, for grownups. Good movie. For grownups. Just a good adult movie. 1997. Yes. What studio? The studio is Paramount Pictures. It's Paramount Picture. It's a pulpy, adult, grown-up thriller. Tell me about the star of the picture. Uh, the star of this film is a great movie star. We've mm-hmm. covered many of his films because he's a favorite of John Carpenter's. Okay, so it's Breakdown? The film is Breakdown. I wish I had the courage. It was the first thing that came to mind. Yes. I know. From the director, the future director of Terminator, Terminator 3. 3. Right, and U571. Yes. It, Jonathan Mostow's Breakdown, which is just a fucking great movie. It's a corker. Um, if you ever want to check out just a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, we've also got this week, we've got Father's Day. Mm, Billy Crystal. Funny. <laughs> uh, liar, liar. He can't lie. Pretty funny. Can't lie. He can't lie. Volcano. Yeah, pretty funny. What's, what's, the, what's, what's the tagline? My favorite uh, tagline ever. Oh, fuck. Uh, things heat up. The coast is toast. Oh, right. I mean, was anything ever better than that? Did we ever have it better than the coast is toast? The coast is toast. David is holding up his computer and shaking it. The poster was just 90% tagline. The coast is toast. They saw that. They were like, I don't even know if the movie should be called Volcano anymore. I think it should be called this. Am I wrong? Was Was Dante's peak? things heat up or is there a different uh, Dante's Peak which in my opinion is a, a better film I just remember some like disaster movie that era having things heat up like May 1997 yeah sure sure things sure. heat up and then the date uh, let's see Dante's Peak exploding soon mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> they, they didn't do a great job there I guess Costa, Costa's Toast uh, the movie aka Volcano that was a trailer that terrified me when I played. Well, it's a little scary because like there was the whole idea of like, as we all know, Los Angeles is not on an active volcano. Right. Except it turns out it is. Well, I was like, this whole fucking time. I just, uh, the whole 90s thing where they're like, huh, weird stuff's happening in LA and there's the one guy who's like, look, I know no one's ever wanted to listen to me, but uh, my research indicates there's actually yeah. a volcano. Yeah. Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones going like, what are you saying, son? You know, what are you talking about? Why can't I play that guy? Why can't I do that three well, times? There's a year? Not as many of those movies this anymore. That's what I'm saying. I mean, Moonfall, of course, had uh, Sam from Game of Thrones going like, "Well, yes. my research indicates the moon is a spaceship." Right. That was a. Th- you know what? I was asked to audition for that one, and I didn't. Uh, but I think he also wanted that fucking. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you've also got Night Falls on Manhattan. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, the well, who's that? That's uh, Sydney Lumet, right? Yeah, Sydney, yeah. Late, late Lumet. Late Lumet. Uh, with who was it? Garcia. Yeah, it's one of those things where it was, he would just be like, "Here you go," and everyone was like, "No." You know, like you know, in the nineties, you just yeah. say, like, "What about this?" No, no, <laughs> no. Andy Garcia, don't know who that is. <laughs> Melanie Griffith, undercover with a sedum. No, thank you. <laughs> that one's weird. Yeah. Uh, number ten. I had completely memory hold the fact that Sydney Lumet was married to Gloria Vanderbilt. Uh, Gloria Vanderbilt. Yes. Who's Gloria Vanderbilt? Of the Vanderbilts, Anderson Cooper's mother. Oh, yeah. cool. Sydney Lumet was married to her. He was. Uh, only, only, yeah, not for well, seven years. Yeah. Bizarre. Um, so that's the box office from America. Okay. When this Move. movie sort of came out in Korea, which I think sure. it barely did. Yeah. Um, it made a, a trio of dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that's the end of that episode. But you know what? What? My apologies to the sponsors of this week's episode. <laughs> we'll do those ads later. Um, Make goods coming up. <laughs> You're right. Hey, uh, <laughs> the ad reads were good. The episode just sucked. <laughs> You sure that was blank check? Not dog shit podcast? Uncracked movie club? Oh. Wow. Remember when we were so mad at them for yeah. some reason? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but uh, tune in next week for Joint Security Area, the sort of the 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 sort of the sixth sense to Parks, uh, Wide Awake and Praying with Anger. His yes. first real film. Now, here's the thing. This episode has been such a hit. And also, yeah. we're, we're, uh, we, we should have mentioned Trio is impossible to watch. Sure. Oh, yeah. Like Moon is a Sunstream, that's on YouTube. Trio, someone like just emailed the bank the blank check account with like, hey, here's actually a legible, like yes. subtitled version of this Thank movie. You. This movie is not available. Thank you to Jonah for doing that. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will there, not say there, his last name because you have engaged in piracy. There are there are very, very bad, I think, like torrents or rips out there, but like they're the subtitles either don't exist or they're really terrible. What is so wild though is uh this not only is subtitle, but like incredibly fucking high quality. Right. And there are a bunch of titles at the beginning. It, this is a digital restoration done in 4K by the Korean Film Archive in 2019 using the original negative. So there has been this really nice restoration done of this movie that they don't let anyone see. Right. Yeah. Anyway. But so, you know, apologies for that as well. Ben, what were you going to say? Sorry. I just, I made a note at the beginning of the episode, we promised to discuss yep. my nicknames, uh -huh. but oh. I feel like this has, again, been such no, a banger. No, well, well, no, well, we how, should, what's the runtime here? Because we're done, but like it's, we can uh, Let's say, I don't know, just about a minute, or a minute, an hour 40. Oh, geez. oh we're doing the this fucking nicknames. long episode. Oh. Shortest episode we've done. All right, mini years. series nicknames. So okay. we know here, I'll just read them out quickly. Sure. This is just the mini series specific nicknames, you know, not his uh -huh. regular. Brewster Ben Kenobi, Kylo Ben. Oh, we're doing it all the way Listen. from there. Listen! Ben Knight Shyamalan, uh -huh. Ben Sape, Sape Anything, Ailey Ben's the Dollar Sign, War yeah. Haas, Perdue Bane, Ben 19, the Fennel Maker, Robo Haas, Ben Glish, Mr. Ben Credible, Eat Drink Ben Hosley, The Hostel Day, Beetle Ape Juice, Public Benemies, Hosick of the Ditch of the Jersey, Stop Making Ben's, Haas Pig in the City, Ben Hosley Went Sally. Oh, it's pretty funny. Really funny. <laughs> the Secret Life of Ben's. That one's a real whiff. Uh, <laughs> the Great Mouse Fart Detective. Uh -huh. Pretty funny. Good. Haas Break Kid. Ben's in the Haas? Yeah. Apparently, that's what we settled on. Because well, Ben's with a Z. He used to call himself Ben know, with a Z. Yeah, Benscape what... from New Haas. Yeah. Really? All right. Bronco Hosley. 
back in business. I <laughs> <laughs> think that was a Richard Absolutely Lawson a Lawson. Uh, House Haas the Great and Powerful. It was so we have a lot yeah. of nicknames to do. Okay. We really never did a Zemeckis name. So this is the thing. Apparently, oh, the list is we never did Zemeckis. Then we did the ones after Zemeckis, and then the run of Fosse, Kubrick, Selick, Boyle. Oh fuck, Jesus. Okay, so okay, what's so the I'm Zemeckis? I'm gonna throw out a couple quickly. Okay, Podmare before Casmus. Yeah, I think his name is Bones Audio Daddy. Okay, Bones great. Sound Daddy. Bone Sound Daddy. Bone Sound Daddy. I like that. All right, great. Right. That's pretty good. Because they call Jack Skellington Bone Daddy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, and just throwing, I'm throwing and the names on the magnet, magnet wall. Magnet you know, Slap them up it. And that's the business of course. Of course right. I've run. Right. Yes, so your company's sound. called Bone Sound. I'm fucking His Billy Daddy. Bean. Done. Done. Jeremy Giambi. Clank. Bone you know, Sound yeah. Daddy. Right. Done. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Bob Fosse. Well, I feel like there was an obvious one for this, wasn't there? Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Should we go back to 18-month-old Reddit threats? Can we find that? Probably. It's always what what where what happened to the nicknames? You know, it's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe Gideon. Joe Gideon? I'm no, I'm just running through elements of these movies. Uh all all that all that Haas. Two Z's, all that Haas. Great. Clack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Spielberg. <laughs> not Spielberg, Zemeckis. No, we did Zemeckis. I mean, Kubrick. Sorry, Thank Jesus. You. Not Spielberg. We didn't do Zemeckis. We did. It was did you, we, we clocked that one. Wait, what happened? No, we clocked Selick. Oh, that was Selick. Oh, God. I All wasn't right. going in order. Right. I was going right. in uh, order of ideas coming to me. All right. Okay, so Kubrick, we got... Okay. We've got Kubrick, we've got Zemeckis, we've got uh, Boyle. Okay, now, uh, 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 here's another. I know we're going hard on the Haas's right now. Sure. But but Haas 9000. Yeah, great. Clack. Clack. Uh, and then we still got Let's Boyle. Let's make that one HOS just for variety. Because all that Haas is twosies. Thank God we did that. Okay. Um, Haas 9000. Train podcasting. Yeah, okay, train podcasting. <sighs> Sunshine, Icarus. Uh, millions, uh, Sloan Dog Mine. Uh, fucking, uh, who wants to be a Ben? Ben, you'll never. <laughs> um, a life Ben Ordinary? No, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense oh, at all. God, it would be perfect if only it made any sense. <laughs> oh. Um, I'm gonna put a thousand podcasts in your pocket. Yeah, Steve Haas. How about the Ben? Like the beach. No, that's bad. Okay, but wait, what about this? The bed. But what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? What about the bench? What? <laughs> that's bad too. It's like Ben and Beach can bad. Fuck. I feel like Fuck. people God. used to suggest nicknames. I know, to that's me. what I'm saying. If we I know, only and they find... always come up, and I feel like I read them on if Reddit. If only we and I responded can't... to things when they happened. We've definitely pinned ideas in the past. Okay, well, I have a thread from eight days ago that says Ben's Keaton nicknames. Okay. All right, so I got... Oh, right, we got Keaton, Keaton to the is a nightmare. Okay, okay. This is a nightmare. Okay, Keaton nickname ideas, go. Okay, uh, Steamboat Benny, The Great Stoned Face, Scumbum <laughs> Jr., Sherlock Hosley Jr. I like... I like Scumbum Jr. Scumbum Jr., clack. Clack. <laughs> clack it, baby. <laughs> Clack it. Okay, so now we have to, Zemeckis oh. and Boyle and Boyle. Ah, oh, fuck. 
Boyle's the one I think is going to kill us here. Boyle is tough. And so, it's, well, it's not tough. We should, we could just do the work. Yeah. We you could know. just do the work. You know. Um, okay. Uh, who, who framed Ben Hosley? Uh, okay, wait. I got I got a, a thread for Boyle nickname. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Uh, B2 Ben Spotting. Porch Dog Millionaire. Sure. It's better than The Ben, so I can't uh, really B2 complain. Ben Spotting's kind of fun. Go on. The Beneral in honor of Rosaria Dawson's shaved wait, vagina. But that also works for fucking Keaton. Now, I what mean? if we used it for both? <laughs> <laughs> Spread it across. <laughs> How quickly can we get a magnet maiden duplicate? We have Scumbum Dog Millionaire, Benster Day. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can just put your name in anything. The ben. I think the Benaroll, the Benaroll on two is really funny. Shallow Ditch. Clickety clack. <laughs> Shallow Ditch is kind of funny. <laughs> ben Shine. <laughs> Oh uh, wow. Yeah. What about Scumbum Jr. though? Are we gonna are we gonna give up on Scumbum Jr. that fast? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh 120 Haas. No. No, that I mean Find I me some Zemeckis names. All right. The ben, Benaral. Ben Mansing the uh, Haas. Who bend Roger Hosley? B2 Ben spotting is kind of funny. I kind of like it. Yeah. All right. We'll do that. The Ben roll is just kind of, we're going to put that in as like an alt. Okay. That's kind of like a floating name. Uh, ben to the Hosley part three. The, I'm sorry. What? Ben to the no, Hosley part three. No, I heard you, but three. what? I heard the words you said. Ben to the Hosley part <sighs> three. Oh my God. All right. Did we do it? Pinocchio. Great. Oh, clack. <laughs> Wrap it up. All right. <laughs> Best episode ever. It's, I mean, it sucks that we're going to spend the rest of the year living in the shadow of this episode. Pace Magazine should just go to print now. Because you fucking... <laughs> Pace. Yeah. Absolutely. Go to print. Best episode of the year. Spool up the press. Not since Under Siege 2. And listen, if you came up with a better nickname than the ones that we came up with, yeah, too bad. Oh, no, here's the thing. I'll say this. The, the tiles have been clacked onto the board, right? <laughs> Click the clack. We and heard it, the clack. We've heard the clacking, and it would be tough. We have to grow out our nails in order to get <laughs> underneath there to be able to peel them off. Unfortunately, we all clipped recently. <laughs> well, I bite my nails. We can't. We can't. There's no give, right? Yeah. When this episode comes out, feel free to make one general thread <sighs> with suggestions for the six miniseries we just ran through. Um, yeah, great. But so, put them all in one place. Yeah, and we'll look at it at but, some point. Uh, but wow, then, you bumped uh, I'm a Pod 4%. I don't know. And good. Lynn hasn't even weighed in yet. Yeah. Still firmly in third place. Yeah, well, and Lynn's going to crack this. Let's keep the, um, the poll open for five days. Uh, David. Yeah. Let's just run through the ones we just committed to. Absolutely not. Already closed the file. Bones Town okay. Daddy. Sure. Haas 9000. Yeah. Yep. All that Haas. Yeah. Two Zs. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Scumbum Jr. Yeah. Uh, uh, ben to the Hosley <laughs> Part 3. <laughs> yeah. And B2 Ben spotting. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. And <laughs> the Ben roll is just kind of out there. He's just out there. Yeah. That might that might be more of a general nickname now. 
Right. You might add to the long list. The Benaral should be one of your titles. All right. Not a title. I say end it. Great. Yeah. Done. Good night. David. Yes. Next week, JSA. Next week, uh, Joint Security Area. Uh, look forward to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, as always, uh, I'll now hand to Griffin. Oh, and as always, thank you so much for handing to me. And I'll just say thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty Party Barty for our social media and for running the world's most fair and even poll that unfortunately is going to be disrupted radically once I get <laughs> Manuel Miranda to pers- I'm He's going to go on live television and endorse my pick. Uh, he owes me one. Um, thank you to AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing, Leigh Montgomery and the Great American All for our theme song. David is unwrapping a sandwich. Oh, baby. Uh, thank you to JJ Birch for our research. JJ, start looking up those Korean box office games. Um, tune in next week for JSA, as we said. Uh, go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, such as our Patreon blank check special features where we do commentaries on film series, finishing up the apes now, getting started on the oceans movies. We're going to swim across a couple oceans with boys. Um, and as always, there's the, the free Patreon uh, membership. Now you can sign up for, uh, every 10 days we unlock an episode from three years ago on the Patreon. And we're just now getting started with our Mission Impossible oh, commentary series. Mission Impossible. Sand gun. Sand gun. Just in time to, to if you want to rewatch them uh, before uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1 comes out, you can revisit those with us. And as always, Producer Ben, a.k.a. Purdueer Ben, a.k.a. the Ben Deucer, a.k.a. the Poet Laureate, a.k.a. the Meat Lover, a.k.a. the Tiebreaker, a.k.a. the Fart Detective. You did not do any of these. A.k.a. our finest film critic, a.k.a. the Peeper, a.k.a. Birthday Benny, a.k.a. Hello Fennel, a.k.a. not Professor Crispy, a.k.a. the Fuckmaster, a.k.a. Dirtbike Benny, a.k.a. White Hot Benny, a.k.a. Soaking Wet Benny, a.k.a. the Haas, a.k.a. Mr. Positive, a.k.a. Mr. Positive, a.k.a. Close Personal Friend of Dan Lewis, who's looking good. Oh, my God. That look crushes aka the voice of reason jordan hoffman had a really funny joke which is that he's um in character to do a biopic as jay maskis from <laughs> dinosaur jr aka really really good joke aka the commish aka wishful ben aka hoslywood aka the futzer aka producer n aka the base stealer aka the mind warrior aka the class act aka the ben and <sighs> the bad boy and Mr. Earring. Mr. Earring. Mr. Earring. Lord Studlington. (laughs) Nicknames from other podcasts. Bad Boy Bully Ben from the Flophouse Short Circuit 2 episode after he described all scientists as lame nerds who do homework. (laughs) (laughs) This is something you do. (laughs) Okay, bye. All right. Let's look through Joint Security Podcast. Okay. Sympathy for Mr. Podcast or some version of that, which is kind of fun. I th- yeah. And obviously there's two movies that basically fits. Yeah. Um I'm a podcast but that's okay. I mean that's also uh, good. It's a very funny title. It is one of his less well-known movies, but still. Yeah. Those are the uh, and then Decision to Podcast is is kind of a fastball straight down the middle. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah.
I don't think anything else really fits. Hmm. You can't really squeeze anything into the word sympathy. No. You can't do like podmathy. <laughs> no, I don't think. Right. But I do think sympathy for Mr. Podcast is funny. I do too. Uh, I'm a podcast, but that's okay. It's funny. Decision to podcast is funny. All three are funny. Should we do a poll? I kind of should. I should. All right, I'm going to text Marie. Okay, but maybe let's start recording so yeah, we can yeah, even yeah. get this on mic. Let's save nothing for not on mic. I was recording that the whole time. You were recording? Holy shit. Wait, what? Wait a second. Sneaky. But that's that's end of episode content because that's not how we start the podcast, Ben. That's fine. I just, okay. you know. Okay, I, I, didn't I, I figured, why not? On. Why not start rolling? Okay, ready? <laughs>